You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. For almost 39 years, we have partnered with others to carry out Christ's great commission, go make disciples, baptize, and teach. The goal? Establish an indigenous church defined as self-propagating, means reproducing, self-supporting, financing, and self-governing. It has its own leadership. Since 1972, our missions group agency has been represented in Germany just shy of 50 years. Now we have reason to celebrate. For the very first time, a missionary established church in Germany has become fully indigenous. This church has acquired a $1.6 million campus, which will be paid off from their own giving in September of 2024. The church continues to see people make decisions to establish a growing relationship with Jesus by grace through faith. Missionaries have been sent out. Daughter churches have been spun off. National leadership has been installed. Now, since July 20th, a national pastor has been voted to assume the place as lead pastor. Thank you. Partnering has paid dividends to God's honor, glory, and renown. Providing hope to this region and stating unequivocally with hope to future generations, it is possible. Churches can be established that mature and fulfill the Great Commission. That is why we celebrate. Amen? Isn't that exciting to see what God's doing through you guys? Thanks for sharing that video with us. Well, I'd like to always start by getting to know you a little more personally. We always hear about your ministry, which again, we want to hear about your ministry, but always like to know personally. So just a little bit about your family, where you were born and raised, and how you end up in Germany. Well, we're Keith and Debbie, and we're originally from Phoenix, Arizona. And we met when we were in the youth group there in our high school years and decided very young to be missionaries. My husband really had a burden for some fields and I was open to anything. To me, it was all sounded good. And so that's how we ended up in Germany. And we took with us one child, it was two, and then we had two more on the field. So three kids all together and they decided to stay in Germany. So they went through the school system and the college and they liked us so well, they got jobs married spouses, and now we have three grandkids, uh, and they're staying there, so that's fine with us. <laughs> Definitely fine with us. Keith, were you from Phoenix then as well? And I was born in Denton, Texas, and my parents were church planters, so we moved around considerably until my sixth birthday, and then we moved to Yuma and started a church there, which I think is the gateway to Hades. <laughs> hottest place I've ever lived in my life but we ended up then at some point in Phoenix and then when we were 17 we met in a little small church a little small youth group 
and I won the lottery in matrimony. <laughs> yeah, you clap for that, sure. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, so you've been in Germany for 38 years then, mm -hmm. correct? And tell us a little bit about the people in Germany. I'm sure we all have perceptions of Germans and what they're like, um, but would love to know where you live, what are the people like in Germany, what, your, what is your church like there? Give us some insight into we that. live not far from the Frankfurt area, which is Central European area, um, in a town called Aschaffenburg. And we did our language study in another city, then moved to Aschaffenburg because they had no larger church or Baptist church at all, so we started there. Um, yeah, the Germans are an interesting group of people. We love them very much. They're all born into religion, though. They're either Catholic or Lutheran. Those are the two state churches. So they're already born into religion, and they're already done because they're going to go to heaven through one of those. So they have a hard time understanding why we would have something else because they are done. <laughs> so you have to approach ministry as kind of like, how's that working for you? You have difficulties and questions. And getting to know people slowly, uh, gaining their trust as friends um, is really paramount because otherwise they're not going to generally come to something they don't consider a religion. It's just a kind of a cult from America. So we get to know people slowly and surely. And they'll open up to you with questions and become friendly once they've found a way to uh, get around the, their fears. And so we have um, small Bible studies where we get to know others. We have at the back of our church a big coffee house where after church we all sit around and have coffee and cake. And that's a bigger part of our ministry than anything. People like to sit around and talk and then you hear, Oh, by the way, I've always wanted to ask somebody like you a question. And so that's how we oftentimes get to know people better and they have questions for us. Germans are very intelligent, uh, very educated. The schooling system is very advanced. Uh, and probably most of you have at home in your kitchen cutlery that says made in Germany, which means that it's they only take the very best of the best and the rest is discarded. And when we tell them that is our nature, uh, made in Germany means only the best and the rest is discarded. Uh, and that of course brings them to the fear, I'm not equal and I'm not up to, to par because they know something's wrong. And that's where we show them the hope is in Jesus Christ. It's not in our ability, it's in his love for us. So you guys have been 38 years, you've been missionaries, what are some things that you've found to be encouraging to you, like we as a church, that way we can be encouraging to you as missionaries, other missionaries uh, in our church or from our church, how, how can we encourage you guys and be an encouragement to you? And what have you seen over 38 years of missionary ministry, the things that encourage you the most? I think I'm most encouraged by the Germans themselves. Um, we have just a limited effectiveness with them, so the Germans reach to the Germans. And we, at least I, work in the background, running the kitchen, hoping that the food gets out there so they have a place to sit around and talk after church, because I know they're going to bring friends and ask questions, and they're more likely to speak to another German that understands them rather than Americans. So it's encouraging for me just to look about our crowd sometimes and see how the Germans have grown and brought their friends and answering questions. And it's not easy. They ask some very hard questions. Um, yeah, just pray for us as we try as best as we can to reach and answer questions that people have. It's encouraging to us just that you'll take us and in and listen to what we have to say. <laughs> the Germans never ask us these things at all. They just want to know when are we leaving or are you still here? Why are you still here? We get a lot of that. So it's nice that you all just have interest in us. 
I would answer that by saying the, the biggest encouragement I get is uh, when you're the example and you engage the broken. The Great Commission fulfillment is not when we first apply and receive a passport. It's reaching out to somebody that is literally looking for hope and we can inspire them because we know who creates hope. We introduce them. So when you engage the people that are disenfranchised, the marginalized of our society, when you come and visit us, and I hope you do, we'll have the coffee ready, we'll have the sauerkraut warm and ready for you. <laughs> and when you do, I hope that you'll engage nationals, I hope that you'll spend time with them. A lot of them speak English and you won't have any issue with that. We'll travel around, you'll see the sights that we see, and you'll get the feel of our culture. Engage people, I would say, would be the way that you can encourage our hearts. Well, let me pray with you guys then, and then Keith, you're going to bring a word to us from the word. But thank you for being here with us this week, and, and thank you for sharing your heart for the German people. And I pray that you will be encouraged uh, as you are with our church family. So let me pray over you guys. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. For 38 years, you've been faithful to Keith and Debbie, and we thank you, Lord, for their perseverance, even in hearing them talk, Lord, that the difficulty of it's better for Germans to reach Germans because they don't necessarily maybe trust Americans, and so we thank you, Lord, that they persevered in being faithful to, to see Germans reaching Germans with the gospel and how that has encouraged their hearts, and I pray as they've planted this church, Lord, that it would continue to bear fruit in that church. I pray as Keith and Debbie move into a new season of ministry, I pray that you'd give them wisdom, Lord, on how to step into this new season and use them uh, even greater in this latter season of their ministry to impact the Germans and the nations with the gospel. I also pray, Lord, that you would strengthen their inner person that they would find their hope in you and that you would continue, Lord, to um, just grow their love for you, remind them of who they are in you. And I pray now as Keith brings your word, I ask that our hearts would be receptive. And I pray, Lord, that as he uh, expounds his word, that we would say, as Moses said, here I am, and that you would speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is such a privilege for us to be here. Thank you for the opportunity and the invitation to be with you again. And for those that are joining us online, thank you for allowing me to come into your home, spend time with you. Today we're going to talk about what I think is probably the prevalent thread of our society is that it seems like everything is a game today. Everything, uh, it starts in my mind, maybe it's just me, but uh, when the speed limit sign says 35 in a residential area. Where is the cutoff before I get ticketed? Is it 36? Is it 37? Is it 38? Is it 40? Is it 80? No. But at some point there is a cutoff and the game that we play is trying to figure out, okay, what is that border limit? Because I'm always needing to get somewhere, getting there quickly. Uh, when I was young, we had one of the Old, I don't even know if it exists anymore. There was a, a game called the game of life. 
And that's kind of what we're going to discuss today is that uh, the game that's not a game. So I hope that you've got your Bibles with you because we are going to be looking at Luke chapter 12. Jesus, the master storyteller, is going to be telling us this game. We have to get this right. There are rules to every game and he's about to expound something that will be an eye-opener and help us get a different worldview. He's just got done saying, be careful about greed. Greed is something that you'll never look into the mirror and say, oh, guess what? I see that person is greedy. We never see it in ourselves. We see it in others, but we don't see it in ourselves. That's why Jesus has warned and said, be careful. But now we're going to pick up in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of, uh, the land of a rich man produced plenteous. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I now have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. The bank called him one day and said, sir, your account is so large. We're not equipped to be able to handle all the cash and all the, all the investment income that you're receiving. You're going to have to figure something out. Well, which bank can I go to? That's the dilemma he's got. Then he goes on in verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. These are the rules of his life. Work hard, be industrious, and then invest so well that you now can just relax and kick back. But the next verse says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He says there are rules in every game and we better figure out what the rules are because if we're playing the wrong games, if Kansas City shows up tonight and they say, we're not going to score any touchdowns. We brought a whole load of chicken nuggets. We're going to see how, who can eat the most chicken nuggets. <laughs> and that's who we're going to declare the winner. We'd say, wrong rules. <laughs> you have to have the right rules in any game that you're playing. And this man lived by a set of rules that he concocted. God said, bad rules. By the way, I think that that's why men love sports so much. I'll connect the dots for women to say, why in the world is my husband such a fanatic? First of all, we have a 48 or a 60 minute time limit. We know there's a start and there's a finish. There's rules. There's men in striped uniforms that will say what's, what's legal and what's illegal and will indicate it. And we know when it's a score, when it's not a score. Even a replay, we can figure that out pretty accurately now. The rules are so, and we know the drama of this sports event will end at a certain time. Not like all the other shows on where the drama just never ends. Men like a start and a finish and it's accurate and we can know a winner and there's a loser. Second place, by the way, in the Olympics is the first loser. Just saying. <laughs> it's just out there. That's, that's the way we men think is, is that we like it accurately. Get the real rules for, for the game and figure that out. God says, you've got the wrong rules. This is not going to end well. Do not end your life with regret, he says. I have experienced this in... Germany, as I received a phone call one night, there's a man in our institution 
His, his mother is laying here and she's unconscious. She doesn't have much long, longer to live. We've called the Catholics. We've called the Lutherans. Nobody will send a priest to come down and stand with this man in his time of need. But somebody on staff here says, you have a reputation that you love people. Would you come? I said, I'll be right down. So I stood with this man and he began to summarize a complete anonymous stranger. He just, in his need, began pouring out his life. His family was not there, his wife, his daughter was not there, and he, he told me the story that he was an entrepreneur, that they actually made a new way to make cardboard boxes. And through this, then he was able to acquire a lot of money. He worked 70 and 80 hours a week. When his daughter was small, then on Sundays, all businesses are closed in Germany, and so she would come running into his bedroom, jump on the bed, Daddy, Daddy, it's Sunday, let's play. He said, I, I told my daughter that daddy's tired. You have to go away and leave me alone so I can get some rest. He said, I became very wealthy, but I taught my daughter and my wife to live life without me. I will supply them ponies, give them on trips, buy their cars, whatever they needed, send them shopping. But they had to do life without me. And the tears began to roll over his cheeks as I watched him go over and grab his unconscious mother and literally he began shaking her violently off the bed and screamed at her face mom mom just wake up one time and tell me you love me just once and then he turned to me and said my life has come a complete waste everything that I thought mattered doesn't matter it, what a waste that is what Jesus is talking about here he's got their attention people do not know what life after death is, even in this society, they're trying to figure it out. Uh, we go back to ancient Egypt and know that they had lived by a set of rules that to go into eternity, into the afterlife, you take all your stuff with you. You take and build areas where that you put your gold and all of your furniture, you put it into your storage unit. And then you wait to be carried over to the other side. You pay with all this gold that you take. Interesting concept, but that was this, that is the reason that we can, archaeologists have figured it out now. Have you noticed in all the, the statues from ancient Egypt, the nose is missing? There's a common thread because the grave robbers knew that these people are waiting to be carried to the other side. They're still living and they are going to put out a curse on anybody that comes in and steals their stuff. So grave robbers said, how in the world can we get the stuff without having the curse? How do you kill a dead person? So they said, we suffocate them. So they came in and said, we'll break off all their noses. They can't breathe anymore and a dead has to die again. That is the reason the Sphinx has no nose and all the other statues are missing noses. Archaeologists have been able to tell us. But we know we don't take our stuff with us. As the old adage goes, goes that you don't have a hearse with a U-Haul on the back of it. We don't take it with us. And this man said, I will now use this for my own consumption, for me, make my life a little more enjoyable. And that's what Jesus is gonna tell us here. He's gonna tell us about follow the money trail. Look back at Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six. Jesus is gonna make it just a little more interesting as he brings our compass back to an area where we look at it. Look in verse 19. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That last verse is so key to all of life and all of relationships. Jesus says, follow the money trail, and I can tell you the temperature of your heart. Now, I think wives get this easier than we men do. They understand that love, even though it's, it's long-lasting and Scripture tells us it lasts forever, but love has a shelf life, an expiration date, if we can call it that. That's when a wife says, you don't tell me you love me anymore. And the husband replies, before we got married 30 years ago, I told you I loved you. And it, if it ever changes, I'll tell you that. And in the meantime, I just loved you. She says, nope, that doesn't work because love has an expiration date. And I want you to bring, you don't bring me flowers anymore. All she is saying is, I need to have some kind of tangible way to see, follow the money trail to see where your heart is. I'm taking a temperature of your heart. She's indicating to us gentlemen that we need to invest heavily into them because Jesus says where you invest, that's where your heart is. Whatever you're putting money into, that's where we know where your heart really is. There is a shelf life and there is an expiration date. Jesus did tell us that if you love me, keep my commandments. And he said that commandments aren't tough to keep. They're not a burden. People that are really in love will automatically say, I will hold the door for you. It's not a burden for me to open the door and to be kind to you and be polite. Not difficult at all because I'm in love. But we can always indicate, see where our heart really is when it starts to be cumbersome. Ugh. I have to do that again. March all the way around to your side and open the door. Ridiculous. You're old enough to open the door by yourself. I took off the child safety locks. <laughs> Jesus is saying that we have, a, we have an obligation and the rules of life are not to think that, okay, I'll hoard it to myself and I'll use it for us and for our own comfort, but we have to look in, into something that's lasting. By the way, antiques that are in your house that you treasured have so much sentimental value or somebody else's stuff that got passed. They didn't take it with them and it keeps getting passed down. And so we have those cherished mementos and antiques that really mean something. And that's what's gonna to happen to our stuff. We will leave it for somebody. What if we would actually turn that dial and say, we will invest it in kingdom things so we can take something with us. What about that? So this is where it gets really personal. We're going to be talking this week about how we can invest not only our hearts and our prayer and our energies, but how can we invest financially to see something like this as we saw on the screen just a few minutes ago. An indigenous church, as we raise our children, we want them to be mature, to go off on their own, and now this church is getting there. That is a big moment for us. We're just so happy to see that God's done it. So I get to write the handbook. It's not been done before not within the BBFI in Germany, so we'll do it. And we'll encourage others to say, it is possible, don't give up hope. Keep doing it, just day in and day out. God will make a way. 
The embarrassing part, uh, I guess, or at least private for me, difficult to even share, is that this is not theoretical that I'm saying this is good for others. This is something that we look at. And I know some of you are probably saying, you've got probably another 50 or 60 years ahead of you. <laughs> to you, I would say, you might want to go see the ophthalmologist. <laughs> Those numbers are just probably not going to work. So right now we are intentionally thinking about how can we leave a legacy, not only in our first passion, our family, but our second passion is church planting in Europe. How are we going to make that happen? And so I've come up with a dream that I'm trying to work out now. We began last year, have already done it this year, and we'll do it again for the next few years. We personally, just my wife and I, not from any missions giving or salary, but we've invested for our retirement because we don't have any Social Security income nor German Social Security income, so whatever we produce. And God has blessed that so much that we have now given a five-figure amount last year and this year, and we'll continue to do that for the next few years. We just upped our game to say, how can we be involved? And my dream is to do this. I'm trying to take those monies and look for locations around the world that we can actually buy a piece of real estate with the goal of putting in a tenant and a property manager that takes care of everything. We don't touch it. We don't sell it. This is not an equity swing play. This is simply that we're looking for tenant income when all the bills are paid, that the property manager will take that and find a church planter and then give them all the proceeds from that completely. So that's in perpetuity. Long after we're gone, our kids don't have to do anything with it. It just continues on. That's our dream. This is not something that's theoretical that I'm saying it would be good for you guys to do it, but not for us because we're already going. It is our privilege to not only be going, but also to be doing the same, to be investing. Jesus said you can't take it with you, but you can invest somewhere that it is locked in and it brings eternal dividends. And that's what I want to be a part of. It is uh, just a math issue. I looked it up recently and the average American has $8,500 annually in nothing but interest payments. That scares me. $8,500, if that's your position, I understand it. We've all been there and we go through this process. But at the same time, I've been thinking, if I've already shown myself that I can live without that kind of money, what if I would pay everything off, be a diligent, and then take that money that I'm giving away to interest anyway, how about if I give it to eternal values? And so we started working on that, and that's how we got to our position, just paying off everything so that we don't have any further leakage, if I can call it that. That is the challenge. Some of you have been so blessed. Some of you are entrepreneurs and you've created a niche that you've been able to be very well blessed financially. Consider, what am I going to do with this? The rules of life are going to be weighed at some point. God said to one particular man, wrong rules. You thought you were a winner. You're a loser. That is not going to work, he says. But I would like to tell you about a man that's that was a winner. I'm always fascinated with missionary biographies. William Borden, from the Borden Milk Company, the son 
at the beginning of the 20th century, graduates high school. And so his parents say, we're going to send you on a round-the-world trip. So he goes from land to land. He sees now, as a believer, he sees the world through God's eyes, and he's burdened. And it was there during this trip that he takes his Bible, opens it to the back flyleaf, and writes two words. No reservations. I'm going to go all in with God. Here are people that need to hear the hope of Jesus Christ. No reservations. Whatever he wants, I'll do. And somehow he felt burdened to actually go to China to a Muslim people. He returns to America to get his theological training. And there he goes through all the Ivy elite schools. There after him, he does graduate. At the end of graduation, corporations from America are actually after him, pursuing him. Would you be our CEO? You come from a great family who knows how to do this. But he turned them all down and wrote two more words under no reservations. He put the two words, no returns. I don't care what they're paying. I don't care how prestigious it might be. I'm not going back to that. I am going to do God's great commission. So he gets on a ship and now goes to Egypt where he's going to learn Arabic so he can go actually further for his really heart's goal. But during that time, then he, he contracts a virus, probably uh, mosquito-borne, and he gets very, very sick as this escalates to the point that doctors say there's probably not any way that he can survive this. They sent off for his parents. If you want to see your son, you need to come quickly. So they take a boat from, or ship from New York to Cairo. And it took a long time. By the time they got there, they deboarded the ship. And about the same time they deboard, William Borden passes away. So they go spend a little time with the rains and looking through his personal goods. They find his Bible. And they thumb to the back, and that's when they find that he had added two more words. Underneath no reservations, no returns, he had written two more final words, no regrets. The purpose of life for us is to play it so well that we have no regrets, all in. We can make an investment in people's lives that create a new direction. I'd like to tell you about Hamid. Hamid is a 19-year-old Iranian that came, came to our church and said, Keith, would you go with me? I've got my asylum hearing. Go with me to, to the courtroom and be there as my helper and my guide. I'd be glad to do that, Hamid. So as we go, we're sitting in court. The judge asked him, you've asked for religious asylum. Have you converted from Muslim to being a follower of Jesus Christ? And Hamid said, I don't think that I'm that far yet. And he followed with another reply. Um, Have you been baptized? As a Catholic society, if you're baptized, then that is believing. He said, no, because this guy won't baptize me. He points at me. I'm sitting on his left. (laughs) And so the judge looks at me and said, "Uh, can you explain that? I said, happily. We do not do political baptisms. We do faith baptisms as an illustration of a heart change. And you just heard, sir, that this man said, I don't think I'm there yet. And because he personally has not proclaimed faith in Jesus Christ and doesn't understand it, then I can't and won't baptize him just to think he's already in. 
And, and so the judge said, well, based on the evidence that I've heard today, then I cannot approve your asylum. We're denying it. But you're young, so through your lawyer, you can reapply and you can come back later when you get it sorted out. Well, he was a young man and he stood up just, and a storm tore up all the court documents, threw it on the ground and ran out. Not probably the best impression you can make on a judge, I suppose. But then he, we started having Zoom conferences. Keith, I want to know more about faith. So we, I ordered him a book that's both copy in German and in Farsi so that he could read in his heart language and at the same time German, compare it. And we would work through scriptural passages. And we came to the place where he, he said, uh, Keith, could you explain to me what guilt means biblically? I'd be glad to do that. So we worked through scripture. I said the whole issue about guilt is that we have a guilt that we cannot pay before, before our holy and sovereign God. But Jesus stepped in and has paid that penalty on our behalf. Amen. Hamid, have you ever been in trouble before this time with asylum seeking? Yes, in Iran I was. A man offended me and I was so angry I pummeled him and put him in the hospital. But then I was chased down, I was arrested and brought before a court. And I was found guilty and they charged me 35 million of their local currency. But we haggled with them over the price and they reduced it to five million. Did you have five million? I did not. Well, who paid it? He said, my father was with me in court. He stood up and said, sir, I'll pay his fine. I said, now you begin to understand what God has done. There was a guilt and a penalty that we could not pay where God said, I will pay that debt on your behalf. And the light went on in Hamid's life. And he said, I think I'm starting to get it. And over the next couple of weeks, then we just met weekly again for more time on Zoom. And it was there that Hamid then asked me to pray with him because he said, it's clicked. I'm now ready to be a follower of Jesus Christ exclusively. And so on July 4th of this year, I baptized in that same river you just saw in the Mine River, baptized Hamid. We can make an impact in people's lives. I want to remind you there is only one thing you can take with you to heaven. Can't take our stuff, but the only thing that we can take to heaven with us are souls. And so therefore, we're going to be serious this week about how we can play that out, how we can facilitate and make that happen. That can only happen in Germany because you cared enough to put somebody there. If we would have not been there, we would have not met Hamed, and that could not have happened. So on Hamed's uh, behalf, I say thank you, Antioch, for caring enough. And this week, we're going to wrestle with the idea. I'm not going to take it anyway, so how can I invest my life so that I have dividends that, are, that will pay off for all of eternity? I'm going to enjoy it with Hamed. Uh, as I've already said, there's um, what a joy for me. I didn't even see this coming. We're working with a German cultural group, but we reach out now to what the Great Commission has been brought to our doors. Personally, I've already baptized five men named Muhammad. I didn't have that down on the legal pad of saying this is going to happen in my ministry. But God. My two favorite words in all of scripture. But God. When we read all of scripture and reduce it down to one storyline, 
the Keith story uh, explanation of that is you are a train wreck headed for destruction. There is not anything good that's going to happen out of this. And we can, everybody can watch it and see it coming. But God commends his love to us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I don't care who said you'll never amount to anything and how ugly it is in your life. But God, maybe today's your day and you want to join and play the, the game that's not a game. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm thanking you so much for the Marikas, for the Marias, for the Stephans who have come to know you, but also the Hamids, the Mohammeds that you have actually brought to a life change simply because your gospel is powerful. And if we can just put it in the soil that's fertile, it bears fruit. Thank you for the privilege to not only know you, but to serve you. And we consider it a privilege. It's not our, our right, but it is an opportunity you've given us, and we want to take that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for granting to us so many blessings that now we can be a blessing to others. Bless this church as we consider it, move in our hearts, make it so clear that we know we have a July 4th event in our lives today. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.